If you are an HR professional, business owner, or at the operations level trying to understand what people want, you may be struggling. Our systems have been shocked, practices have been questioned, and culture is the leading conversation. Let's learn how culture is created, sustained, and why it should be the leading conversation when discussing hiring, training, and retention. This is the foundation of any business, and it's time to address it. So tune in to Let's Talk HR, humanizing the conversation. We tackle topics that influencers of change need to understand and struggle to overcome every day, such as where to start and what the new workforce wants and how to attract and keep positive momentum going. I'm your host, Leanne Lovely. Today, I have the privilege and honor of speaking with an amazing, strong woman. Dr. Bathsheba Guy is a change management consulting senior associate, a diversity, equity, and inclusion consultant, and participatory action researcher. She is an alumnus of the educational and community-based action research doctoral program at the University of Cincinnati. Shiva implements participatory and community-based methods to engage and support diverse groups and advocate for inclusive and equitable practices in higher educational and healthcare institutions to drive change management. Sheva, thank you so much for joining me today. I'm really excited to talk with you. You have such an amazing uh, background and you're so authentic and out there. Um, so I'm, I'm really excited to jump in. Why don't you tell me a little bit about yourself? Absolutely. So thank you so much for having me. I'm really excited. This is my first podcast, so I'm I'm really pumped. Um, yeah, my name is uh, Dr. Bat Sheva Guy, but everyone calls me Sheva. Um, I'm also open to Bat. That's also chill. Um, so I currently am in an interesting spot because I am amidst transitioning careers. So I was in academia for 10 years. I was at the University of Cincinnati um, throughout my undergraduate, uh, my master's, my doctoral degree. And I worked primarily in uh, educational development, student affairs, and diversity and inclusion work. So really the backbone of what I do is diversity and inclusion. And then the research side of things is I'm obsessed with participatory methods and participatory engagement. So that's kind of the crux of what I do. And so currently um, I transitioned into consulting. So that's a little bit about um, my career. I'm also so a mom, I've got three awesome kids, my two older sons who are eight and nine, we adopted them in 2020. And then I had my daughter who's now two and a half in December 2019. So amidst the pandemic, we went from zero to three kids, my husband and I, um, it was a certainly an adventure, but it was a great time. Um, let's see what else I love to travel, love to read, love to cook some of the things I enjoy doing in my free time. Awesome. And you also have some amazing tattoos, which um, oh, yeah. I have, I, you know, you are very um, open. I love the fact that, um, you know, you have pictures of them um, online, which is, yeah. is another great, um, this is another movement that I have seen, which is, it was beautiful. I'm actually, if people could see okay. them, they're, they're absolutely beautiful. It's a, a form of, of artwork. Um, definitely. So so you, you mentioned that you're amidst a career change. So where are you, you know, headed right now? What, what's, what's this career change? Yeah. So I, yeah, like I mentioned, I was at the university of Cincinnati for 10 years, you know, never, honestly, never thought that I was going to leave, but then COVID hit and I realized there's a lot out there in terms of flexibility in work and being able to utilize my transferable skills, the great resignation and whatnot, all of that fun stuff. Um, I had a brief stint um, at a company I shall not name, um, doing diversity and inclusion consulting work, but in a nutshell, they weren't ready for diversity and inclusion. Uh, they just weren't ready to really embrace it for everything that it was. Um, so I started looking for something new. I was unemployed for a bit, hung out with my family and by happenstance came upon Huron through LinkedIn. So as you mentioned, I'm super active on LinkedIn, talk about my tattoos and what it means to really be professional, not look judging a book by its cover, all of that fun stuff. 
Um, so yeah, I'm pivoting and I'm doing change management consulting, which I feel like utilizes a lot of my skills in my past, like research, data, participatory methods, um, integrating a lot of inclusive practice into that, making sure that uh, diverse populations feel included, feel a sense of belonging, are able to bring their voice to the table and feel like they have access to that table. So even though it's a whole new world, I feel like everything I've done in the past has led me to this point. Um, and yeah, I'm learning something new every single day. My team is awesome, but we have this little uh, list of terms and acronyms that they use at my company a lot. And I'm like, turn into that all the time because I'm so new. I'm like, someone just said something. Let me ping someone on Teams or look at this list to figure out what's going on. So it's definitely been a transition, not without its challenges, but I was really lucky to have a ton of support um, and find the place that really saw my skills as transferable and as, um, as a positive as opposed to, oh, she's never done consulting before. We're not going to take a chance on her. So I'm very grateful for that. Well, that's awesome. And, you know, this is a world of definitely a world of pivoting and changing. And, you know, it, it's amazing over the last couple of years how much we all have had to do that. The great companies out there are, are realizing that they have to be able to pivot constantly in order to stay I guess, stay in front of the curve as much as possible. So that's awesome. So you, you, again, you mentioned that you are a mom. I like to always put that one first as, you know, I am a mother first. Um, mm -hmm. You know, I am, a, I am a wife and, and then my career, but so you have three children. You mentioned that, you know, I did not realize that, wow, you became a mother of three, like yeah. all at the, pretty much at the same time. Yep. Within months. Yeah. Wow. So do you mind talking to me a little bit about that? I mean, did this, sure. was this a, whoops, uh, we didn't realize, or I mean, how, how did that yeah. all come up? So it's like a, so it's a really interesting story. So um, not to get into like the nitty gritty details, but my husband and I, we struggled with uh, fertility issues and we had always talked even aside from, you know, trying to have biological children um, fostering. Um, and so we decided, you know, let's just go for it. Let's um, sign up for foster care classes. This was early 2019, maybe spring 2019. Um, we're like, let's go for it. So we started doing the foster care classes, met a really awesome community. Um, I'm in Cincinnati, Ohio. Shout out to Beach Acres, who we got our foster care license through. They're phenomenal. Um, and yeah, so we started pursuing our foster care license and we were doing like um, the foster to adopt program, um, knowing that the goal of foster care is reunification, not anticipating we'd be able to adopt anytime soon. Um, really just wanted to provide a home for kiddos that are in a transition period and just give them the love and support that they need. So we were doing those foster care classes and it was actually, and they were every, I think they were like every Saturday for several, for a few months, like they were intense, like all day. And it was actually the, it was actually Mother's Day weekend that I was like, I was about to start birth control again. And I was like, I feel funny. I'm going to take a pregnancy test because I still had a bunch of my old, like I was taking pregnancy tests constantly when we were doing fertility. Mm -hmm. so I was like, I'm going to take a pregnancy test. So I took one and I took another and I took another and I was like, this cannot, like this cannot be happening. <laughs> so I wake my husband up. I was like, hey, time for to get ready for foster care class. By the way, I'm pregnant. <laughs> and he was like, what? And so it was like, a, and we, it was one of those things where like, if you miss a class, you have to wait several months to be able to take it again. So we're like, okay, we just found out that we're pregnant and we have to get up at eight, like seven in the morning on a Saturday to get to this class that starts at eight or nine or whatever across the city from us. And so we keep taking the classes, keep taking the classes, disclose to our social worker, like, hey, just so you know, like we are expecting. Um, and we kept doing the class. We're like, we're already in this. Like we're, we can get our foster care license and then wait to foster kids or, you know, do whatever. So we got our foster care license and in, in August, 2019, and I was due, I was due January, 2020. Mm -hmm. Um, so we got our foster care license August 2019, and we got asked to do a two-week respite care for two boys that were five and six. And 
for those of you who don't know, respite care is kind of kids that are in between foster homes or the foster, there's a foster parent that may be having a surgery or a major life event or is going on a trip they can't take the kids to um, have a transition place for up to two weeks. So they asked us and I said, you know what? I said, oh, like, I'm like, it will be fine. Like, we'll take these kids for two weeks, come to find out that their previous foster home, um, they were having some health issues and they weren't able to continue fo continue fostering them. So they were in respite care with us. So they could find another foster home. So they're with us and we're like, well, why? Because I guess we were only on the respite list because of the baby coming. And we said, okay, this is ridiculous. Like these kids don't need to move again. They had moved like five times in the last year. Right. Ridiculous. Like crazy what these, like awful what these kids have gone through. And so I'm like, they're staying here. They're not moving and going anywhere else. Mm -hmm. So they were with us. Um, ever since they've been with us ever since we I ended up having my daughter f almost four weeks early it, I went into labor on Christmas 2019 oh so gosh. yeah it was insane it's like three in the morning the day after Christmas was when I had my daughter she wasn't due till like January 19th or 20th or something like that um so then, you know, the, the boys were in school in person in school and I was on maternity leave and then the week I was supposed to go back was March 13th, mm -hmm. 2020, something like that. Um, so that was the week that everything shut down. So I never came back officially, quote unquote, I'm doing air quotes from maternity leave. I was like, okay, now I've got, I mean, my husband, of course, was there and he was he was working at the time. Um, but once I came, realized like, this is going to be like this for a while with the kids in virtual school and my daughter at home, my husband ended up quitting to become a stay at home dad. And we just went to parents of three like that. And then that next November was when we adopted the boys. That is all in 2020. <laughs> oh my God. So from August, between August and December, 2019, one, three months, one from zero children to three of them. <laughs> it was a life. Let me tell you. Wow. That's, that is amazing. That I have no words for that, that you and your husband are, are amazing to, to be able to take that on. I mean, that, <laughs> wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, people, everyone says like, oh, you're so amazing. You're so wonderful. And I'm like, you should, you need to be a fly in the wall and hear the chaos in the house. Like you, you won't call me amazing if you hear all the nonsense that goes on. But yeah, it was definitely not how we planned to start our family, but it worked out perfectly. The boys have been with us for several years now. They're eight and nine. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And they're doing just, they're doing fantastic. Like they're thriving. They're yeah, they're doing great. They're amazing big brothers. Um, my daughter is like obsessed with them. Like she does every, I swear the reason why she like walked so early, talked so early is because of, I swear it's because of them, like mimicking right. them and wanting to be just like them. So, well, that's great. That's absolutely awesome. <laughs> and, and what a role model that these boys and, um, your little, your daughter is going to have is somebody who's, you know, out there being so authentic and, you know, wanting to help and, you know, change the, the views of the world to, to try to, you know, help with inclusion and diversity. And so let's, let's, you know, you are a, a very outspoken woman. You're, um, you know, willing to, <laughs> willing to say what everybody in the room is thinking. Um, and I love people like that because I'm, I, I have a tendency to be that person as well at times. And sometimes my husband looks at me and goes, you didn't. And I'm like, oh, uh-oh. Um, wh whoops. Sorry. I, you know, there's, I'm not the only one thinking it, right? Right? Mm -hmm. So let's talk a little bit about that. Let's talk a little bit about some of the things that you've, you, that you, I guess, say that everybody's thinking. Yeah. yeah. So I, yeah, I'm definitely, I'm transparent, honest, authentic. Like, I feel like I, there, I feel like there's so many people out there that feel like they have to hide who they really are in a professional space. Um, and I, I personally, I can't work that way. I was trying to be really intentional because at my university, I felt like I could be the, where I was working. I felt like I could be authentic and I really wanted to find a place that embraced me for all of, of what I was. Um, so there's a lot of things that, that I shout about. One of them, as you mentioned, being tattoos, like I've got a chest piece, I've got a sleeve, like 
my arms are probably going to be, my back is covered, like everything. I mean, I've got lots of tattoos. I've got piercings. I've got all of it. And that doesn't change who I am as a professional person. I have a master's. I have a PhD. I do continuing education. Like none of that has, like, has anything to do with, you know, what I can do. Right. Um, and some other aspects that I like to talk about a lot is mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, I have anxiety. I've been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder, obsessive compulsive disorder. I have some PTSD symptoms. I've struggled with an eating disorder and none of that. And, and because I feel like because I persevered through that, I am better at my job. I'm able to take care of my kids and understand what they're going through at a level that um I'm proud of and I embrace all of those labels because that's who I am. And I understand why people don't want to talk about it. It it's not everyone's journey to be that loud person, but I feel like by being loud about these things about what really makes people professional and what makes people even better at what they do, you know, um I feel like that I feel like it helps others in a way, like being able to hear someone else that has gone through what they have gone through um, and say like, hey, this may be a label, but it's not who you are. It has made you stronger and we shouldn't be afraid to talk about it because this is our whole lives. Like I may come into work one day and, you know, I'm having a really bad anxiety day, Mm -hmm. right? And I want to be off camera, like that should be cool, right? Or I want to work remote that day. If I'm not in a remote job, that should be okay as long as I'm doing my job, right? I always follow through. I do what I have to do. I meet my deadlines. I go above and beyond. And I have multiple diagnoses Mm -hmm. and I've got a bunch of tattoos, whatever, you know? Right. Who cares? Yeah. Right. We are are not one thing. We are a... a like an onion we are multiple layers of a whole bunch of different things and if we were only one thing wouldn't that kind of be boring exactly exactly and like yeah and I feel like one of one of the other things like I talk you know I I talk about a lot of things like on LinkedIn especially that like can skirt the line between oh is that getting too political is that getting to this or that mm-hmm. um but we live in this we live in a world where we can't just decide like work goes on despite what's going on in the world right Mm -hmm. like like so like socially politically all of it like with all the shootings that have been going on in the U.S. how am I supposed to continue quote-unquote business as usual when I'm terrified for my children going to school every day Mm -hmm. I'm afraid for my black sons who walk down to the bus stop what can happen between the house and the bus stop Mm -hmm. what's going to happen to them at school you know those are things that I can't help but bring with me every day, but I feel like it allows me to see, to, to have a perspective on diversity and inclusion in the workplace that if I wasn't bringing that to work every day, I, I wouldn't be able to do the work that I do. Right. We're no longer living in a, in a time period of the leave it to beaver where the, you know, the dad comes home from work and drops his, his briefcase at the door and all of a sudden is a family man and the reverse where he goes to work and he's the businessman. Um, the, the, the line has now bled into both. We, we are who we are and we need to be because trying to compartmentalize those two different, you know, areas um, or those two different lives is unhealthy. First of all, mm-hmm. trying to be a different person um, at, at those two different places all the time. It's, it is truly unhealthy. You're, you're mm-hmm. constantly trying to put up a barrier and it, it just, it's not sustainable. It's not okay. right. And it is proven time and time again, that the more authentic you are, the more people want to be around the authentic people, right? Mm -hmm. That um, the more, and I've seen this as a salesperson, the more authentic I am in front of my clients and my customers, the more they want to work with me and the more they appreciate working with me. Mm -hmm. So I I can't be my authentic self if I'm not being my whole self, the whole person I am which means that there are times that I'm going to talk about my daughter. There's times that I'm going to talk about this puppy I just recently got that won't stop biting me. Line that everybody thinks exists, it is now bleeding over into, you know, everything. 
I, I can no longer walk in, drop my baggage and say, okay, I'm now working Leanne. And mm. as far as the way that we look and the way that we're past the whole idea that you have to wear this pressed suit that's starched mm -hmm. and, and, and be, a, and that's, what's going to be the professional. I, I see mm -hmm. people come into professional meetings all the time, wearing jeans and a nice shirt. I yeah. see professionals all the time wearing a variety of, there's no long, we're not living in a day where you have to wear stockings with a dress and a women yeah. wear skirts and men wear suits and ties. That's mm -hmm. not how business is conducted anymore. Mm -hmm. And I think that over the last two years with us sitting in our homes and half the people, you know, stand up and they're wearing pajama pants proves that we can do our job without putting on this uncomfortable suit <laughs> mm -hmm. to do the job. Yes. Oh, yeah. So, and that I and, completely agree. Right. And we as a society have so long talked about, oh, the arts, you know, you know, you go to, to an art show and, oh, the arts are so wonderful. Well, who's to say that art has to be done on one, you know, art can be anything. I could think that art is beautiful on whatever your chosen art form is. If that is tattoos, if that is piercings, if that is, I don't know, painting your dog blue. Again, I have dogs on the brain. If that's yeah, you're going to have Right. If that is your chosen form of art as long as it is not hurting anybody ethical moral all of the not illegal then why are we judging other people right we absolutely th that has nothing to do with how we do business it is simply and it has nothing to do with intelligent level it has nothing to do with anybody not being able to do a job so get over yourself people right mm -hmm. i completely agree with that notion this is what i tell my kids too like the biggest thing is to make sure that you are keeping yourself safe and that you're not hurting anybody. Right. Like all of the rules in our house are based around that, like respect and safety. And, you know, none of my tattoos are offensive. Heck, this sleeve is from a children's film. It's from Alice in Wonderland. Like my entire arm is from Alice in Wonderland. Right. right. Um, so yeah, that's my thought too. Like I curse like a sailor, but I'm not saying any words to hurt anybody. I'm saying it because I stub my toe or because I'm excited. Right. <laughs> like, right. um, and so that's also, you know, what I, what I kind of instill in my children is, um, is yeah, express your creativity, you know, be open as long as everyone's, as long as no one's getting hurt and you're not hurting anyone, good, like, go for it, do it. Um, show yourself as who you authentically are. Um, and I agree too, that COVID like has blurred the line so much between like what is work and what is personal life. Like the other day I was on a call and I mentioned to you earlier that I'm, we're potty training our two and a half year old. And she just like decided to open my office door without pants on and just start running around. And I was meeting with like, I was a, um, it was a director or managing director at Huron. I can't remember who it was at the, at the time, but so this has happened a couple times, but I was like, <laughs> okay, like, this is cool. And they were like, it's so chill. Like I have a three-year-old or whatever. It's not a big deal. I get it, you know? Um, and so I just got up and I closed the door and was I wearing yoga pants yes I was was I wearing pajama pants maybe one of those two is definitely my mo um and I'm still doing my job you know and doing what I'm supposed to be doing and really what I, I care about people like that's like the crux of like everything that I do um and so as long as I'm demonstrating that I think being authentic you can do an even better job connecting to people as you mentioned by being authentic Right. Right now, as we sit, um, I am sitting in my um, my studio and behind mm -hmm. me is my my child and I's art room. And I have a bunch of drawings that her and I did together. I love it. Right. I mean, I, I'm not I, I suppose I can put up a, you know, a curtain and I do have curtains for certain meetings, but yeah. I, I'm not you know, th this is this is me. This is my daughter and I's, you know, and, and sometimes it's a talking piece. I've had kit like you said, I've had guests um, kids pop in and they're and they all of a sudden they're like oh there's mickey and i'm like oh yeah i forgot That's my daughter would do. she'll right. go mickey meows mini meows right right i <laughs> I, I i'm not it, this is this is where my studio is it's the only place that mm -hmm. i have actual privacy in my home so yeah it, you know it, it is what it is and we've seen now um what i can't remember which um 
it was a newscaster he was doing an interview and his this was like a live interview Mm -hmm. and his daughter came running in and there was nothing that he could do. I, mean, I he was, Yes. And then you see his wife come running down and she literally like slid into the room on her knees trying to stop the, the, the young <laughs> children. And then later he actually did, okay, let's redo this, but let's properly introduce my family instead of this like chaotic moment happening. Mm-hmm. I think that was an eye opener for the country. It was, oh. Yeah. We have personal lives behind yeah. that closed door. Yeah. There might be chaos inciting. And, and I think that we all we've all experienced it where we're like, oh, my gosh, is that door about to open? Because I can hear them behind it. And it's like mm-hmm. and, and like you mentioned, you know, you're your two year old, you know, two and a half year old potty training. I, hey, I've got a four, I've got a four year old. So, yeah, that was all happening in my house, you know, during yep. the pandemic where I'm like, oh, my God. And sh- and again. My daughter loves to run around the house naked, you know, getting ready for bath. And she's just like, I want to be naked. And I'm like, yeah, she's like, let's go. No clothes. Run around. Right. I think, yeah. hey, if it wasn't like inappropriate for adults, I think we'd probably do it, too. <laughs> That's why we wear comfy clothes. Like we want to be comfortable. Right. 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 Yeah. Yeah. I just want to be comfortable. <laughs> You know, that's, that's what life is all about. It's, you know, let's find our comfort zone. And, and now it's finally bled over. But we have Mm -hmm. proven that we can do our job while life is happening. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And yeah, I I feel like companies either have embraced it and said, like, yeah, like, let's go all in on this and realize what this means for the future of work or they have tried really hard to keep things the same. And I think that's the difference between a great company and a not so great company, right? Cause you have to embrace the change and be adaptive. Absolutely. So mm-hmm. on that topic, I would like to talk a little bit, you know, more specifically about the kind of work that you're doing. So you, yeah. you mentioned, you know, the participatory, um, you know, coaching and, and, Tell me a little bit more about how that, you know, works for you and, and, you know, a little bit more about how you work with individuals or before I get ahead of myself and and say something that's not even in line with it. Why don't you tell me a little bit about, you know, the specifics of, of the consulting that you do? Yeah. So I'll just kind of go back a little bit. Um, So action research is, um, and participatory methods is what I got, uh, is essentially what my doctorate was about and what my dissertation was about. Um, And participatory methods, like it sounds like this, like big, like academic speak, and it's really not. Um, It can be used for academic research, which I have done, um, but it can also be used for culture change, program development, uh, change management, which is the field that I'm in now. And really just, and I mentioned like people being the heart of everything that I do and participatory methods really in, in a nutshell or in like the simplest terms is making sure that all stakeholders are involved and included in decision-making processes and are able to provide feedback. Um, So using participatory methods is a great way to keep multiple folks at all levels of an organization engaged, um, consistently asking for feedback and using that feedback to take action um, and creating positive change. So it's really about, it's not like me swooping in to an organization saying, okay, so this is all that's wrong and this is what we need to change and this is how we're gonna do it. It's collaboratively working with folks that are in an organization from uh, the vice president and leadership, um, all the way down to frontline workers, right? Every single voice is equally important and every voice, um, has a different perspective to bring and how we can leverage the positive aspects of what's happening in an organization, right? Cause I never work from a deficit model and say, okay, so these are the great things that our organization has to offer. Um, and these are our gaps. So how can we take what's great about what we do and our people and our mission, and use that to create action items to fill those gaps. So yeah, it's really collaborative um, 
very inclusive because it asks questions like, okay, is everyone at the, is everyone that needs to be at the table at the table? Um, if they're not at the table, what are some equity issues? What's causing them not to be able to be at the table? Mm-hmm. Once they're at the table, do they feel like they belong and they can actually share their voice on what's going on? So it's very um, people-centered, humanistic, engaging, and you have to be authentic throughout the process. You have to be, oh, yeah, so it's a very collaborative process. And you ha- I was mentioning having to be authentic because if you're not authentic with the stakeholders you're working with in an organization, then they're, you're not going to get that buy-in. Mm-hmm. They're not going to trust you. They're not going to want to implement whatever processes you suggest. And then everything just falls apart. So you actually, um, your organization that you work for is, is brought in as a consulting company, am I understanding this right? And you go and you actually work with them because they're interested in, in changing the, the or or figuring out how to better the culture at their organization. So Huron actually, so that's just like the basics, of, or not the basics, but like what I've done relating to participatory research. I'm on week six of my work with Huron. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I'm really hoping to be able to bring those participatory aspects into the work that Huron, the great work that Huron's already doing. Um, but I am actually on a team and what Huron typically does is they work with um, higher education and healthcare and other organizations and institutions to implement large scale technology implementations. Okay. Um, so I'm on the change management side. Okay. So I'm not like, aka, I'm not a techie person. Like <laughs> I'm not that IT kind of technical person on the team. Um, but I feel like the change management team and the change management folks are really at the core mm-hmm. of change happening because we're the ones that are on the ground, gathering the feedback, seeing how things are going, um, providing training. And again, like that feedback loop that I was talking about, making sure we're consistently getting that feedback from stakeholders. Not to pick on, okay, to kind of pick on the number one organizations out there that need help are higher education and healthcare. Totally. I I mean, I feel like there, then there's, there's a couple other ones out there that I could pick on but I'm not going to um I'm only because you brought those up but yeah I feel like I feel like healthcare is is always because they're so huge because they're you know you've got some of the the major massive companies and I could you know like in, in here in Milwaukee you've got like freighters and it's just this massive beast of a company and it's like how do you even begin to yeah help them change that culture and to, you know, make it more inclusive and make, you know, so that the, the people at the top, the people who have the ability to start making those changes, know what the people on the ground level, the people who are feeling, you know, the strains every day are being heard. And it sounds like that's, you know, what uh, it's like a software that, that they can actually be able to be. Okay. Yep. And those, yeah. And the cloud. Yep. Yeah. And I feel like though that is the type of companies that really need the help. Same yep. with higher education companies. I feel like for being in the education world that they are worlds behind where they should be. You would think okay. that they would be on the cutting edge all the time because mm-hmm. they're supposed to be, you know, spitting out people who are on the cutting edge of their education right but I feel like internally they're constantly struggling with that and I I, and again I don't know the inner workings of the higher education systems but I just feel a lot of people get very frustrated from Mm -hmm. what I've heard from the higher education and from and from the local school just Mm -hmm regular education I mean even just general school systems it's it just seems backwards to me you would think that those that that education would be at the cutting edge of of cultural change yeah I like so I like to describe it and I've, I've said this before and like in a variety of like different settings and contexts but the way that I describe it just coming from a background in higher education is that universities, they are businesses. And I think you even said like, I think you even said company or business like in relation to that. So universities are businesses, are are private businesses 
revenue, they're revenue generating businesses that are masquerading as nonprofits and quite frankly, paying their employees barely livable wages at, at best. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's, you know, those are the people, the faculty, the staff that are supposed to be educating, um, you know, our, our next generation of leaders, right, are being paid, quite frankly, an, an, an embarrassing amount of money. Not And that, that's not even touching on how much K through 12 educators are making. Oh, yeah. Right. I mean, it's it's insane. So until we get to the point where we truly can demonstrate that we value um, the folks that are working in education, it's just going to keep, I mean, it's going to keep falling apart the way that it is. And that was one of the reasons why I, I left higher education was like, I thought I was going to stay forever. I just loved my students. I, it was invested so much in them. And I realized like, when is it time to invest in myself though? Mm-hmm. And from moving from, uh, I was a program director making $60,000 as a program director with two direct reports. With your doctorate with the your, doctorate. With your phd with- yep. and i'm and i'm very transparent about that too that's one of the things that i shout about is like we need to be transparent about what we're getting paid because if we're not then women are going to continue to get under underpaid people of color are going to continue to get underpaid black women are going to continue to get underpaid if we're not talking about it right um so, so i i, sh- I shout about it so i within i mean after after that i managed to double my salary and then some with the benefits that I have now within a year um, by moving sectors. So you're going to keep seeing this great resignation of people leaving higher ed um, until we see them really put their money where their mouths are and show their educators that they value them and they want them to stay. Well, and I think that we're going to see, I, in my personal opinion, I think that we're going to see higher education start to crumble because less and less companies are putting as much emphasis on higher education because I think in part they're they're failing yeah. at preparing individuals for the true workforce. Mm-hmm. They are they're creating a group of individuals who are great at memorization, great at passing tests, but not great at being prepared for Hey, how do you, and not in every, not in every, let me premise this by saying not in, not for every program, but there are Mm -hmm. programs out there that they're like, okay, make sure that you can pass this test. All you have to do is go and read this book, memorize this book and come and pass the test. But that does not prepare them for being in the workforce where you can't read a book and know Mm -hmm. how to do your job. It's, you have to be able to think for yourself and problem solve. Mm -hmm. Yep. And I, I'm not sure that the education program is teaching those those skills. I mean, I, yeah, and I, I so it's interesting because I come from a very privileged place uh, considering where I came from, um, because the one thing I will say, and I mean, I, I again, like I loved working for the University of Cincinnati, like I still stay connected with so many folks there. Um, I can't, we got we were really lucky there. Uh, we, I, and I, I was really lucky there because um, one of the big, big cells of students coming to University of Cincinnati is the cooperative education program. Um, I was in, I was within the College of Engineering um, before I left and students, like, I will tell you, they got like that real world, like you had to co-op at, like every other semester, but I can't remember exactly the rules off the top of my head. That was one of the things that got washed away <laughs> when I left, but like they had to co-op, they had to go in and do the real work, um, get that real world experience, get those internships and they were paid, which is great. So there are, there is some, there were definitely flaws in the system. Um, and I do agree with you that there is a lot of like, especially, you know, if we're talking about like students that are trying to get into grad school or med school, like they need to get A's, right? So their biggest concern, like, yeah, they want to get the real world skills, but they need to get those A's too, because it's so competitive. Um, And I think the the vision of like a holistic application review doesn't really exist yet. Mm -hmm. Um, People are looking at the test scores. Like I I said, like I have a PhD and I'm like the worst test taker ever. Um, Terrible. So uh, there's definitely something to be said about like needing to get more holistic when we're evaluating our students yeah I have test anxiety now I went to I I took a um you know I majority of the classes that I took was not about taking a test it was about here you need to go and write a paper on this it has to be at least you know 
I think it was 15, 15 pages long typed. And you have to like you actually had to do the work and research it. That was just an, a weekly weekly. We had to turn in a, a paper on said topics. You had different topics to choose from based on whatever we were doing at that time. And then on top of that, you were also had to participate in different pro, you know programs throughout the week. So it was a ton of work. I also was working full time during the time that I was going for my bachelor's degree in human resource management. Now. I, at the end of that, had learned so much, but if I would have said, if they would have said, here, you got to take a test now, I would have been like, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God, test anxiety. But the amount that I learned in having to do my own research and then turn around and write an entire paper, minimum 15 pages long typed, was insane. I mean... Now that right there, I think is way more valuable than sitting your, 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 your class down and saying, okay, now take a test on what we just learned because now you have created two things. They have learned the skill of researching on their own Two, they're going to retain a heck of a lot more of that information because they've had to find the information on their own. And it's usually it's not- what they care about too. Right. And they're finding something they care. And that's a hundred. So I teach too. I teach psychology and like, so I teach like the, aspect of like how we like remember things and how like what encoding is like and how like doing these real world things are the things that are going to help you remember them and that like just what you're describing is exactly how I teach my classes like I give like occasional like quizzes on some reading material but I don't give tests like it's always papers and it's always about what do you want to learn about what do you want to take out of this class you have to research it Mm -hmm. and you have to give me like it still needs to be robust but and like my students love it um they really I think they do they seem like they do Right. Even when I was at WCTC going for computer programming, I remember I had to write, I mean, this was a monster paper for my final, it was my final exam. I had to write a paper and I had to write, I had to cho- I had like multiple things to choose from. And my choice was the, the history and progression of the original computer. So where it originated from up until the point, and this was in 1990, no, this was in 2000. So it was basically the beginning of where the original, when the original computer was created, all the way through where we were at that time. And this, this was a massive paper. So it, I mean, it was so much research going from, you know, the very first computer. And it was so exciting to me because I was really interested in it. And so it was so easy to write. And that, you know, for people to be able to choose their topic, obviously within the realms of what you're learning, but then to do the research... And it, and it teaches individuals to, and nowadays, you know how easy it is to do research? Hey, Alexa. Hey, Google. Hey, Siri. Hey, tell me about this. Either way, they're still doing research. They're still ask, they still have to ask the right questions. We've gone off on a tangent, which, you know. I'm like, so I'm big on that. I always go off on a tangent. <laughs> so do I. It's like, no worries. No worries. But I mean, it, it's just... Yeah. Higher education always gets me, gets me going because I believe that it's important, but I also believe that there are, there are gaps that yeah, need to be addressed. For sure. mm-hmm. So, well, um, so we are, we're coming to time. Um, yeah. but this season, um, I am asking everybody, um, you know, a question of the season. That's my thing. Oh, okay, um, cool. So I'm going to ask you the question of the season. If you could go back to your younger self and give yourself advice, when would you go back and what advice would you give yourself? Mm-hmm. And I know like you send me this question and I still have like so many different ways I could go with it. <laughs> um, but I, I think what I would do is I would actually go back just because I have so many years of education under my belt. I would go to like my little like first year undergrad, little Sheva, who was pre-med and was trying to double major in biology and psychology and like neuropsych or do like do all this stuff. I would tell her to just honestly trust 
the process. Like I, my life and my career has gone in so many zigzags and at every turn, I'm like, okay, this is going to be the next thing that I'm doing forever. This is going to be the next thing I'm doing forever. And I never just trusted that I would find my way naturally as opposed to trying to force things. Right. I was trying to force everything and force like uh, myself into a box. So I would say just be open to opportunity, embrace it, and not worry about necessarily every second where you're going to be 10 years from now, right? Just take it as a learning opportunity. And yeah, just just embrace the the different things that'll come your way. Because if I didn't, if I, I feel like I was always thinking like, so many years in advance, as opposed to now thinking, where am I at now? And how can I become an, a well-rounded person and who I am now, as opposed to constantly worrying about what's next. Mm-hmm. So, and then I would also say, get on anxiety medication sooner. <laughs> <laughs> get on that Zoloft. <laughs> It'll help you go, go to therapy. Thank <laughs> <laughs> you. I think we all would. I, I think we all would say that to our younger. Hey, stop stressing. Get on that Zoloft. Yeah, like, yeah, get on that Zoloft. Like, calm down. It'll work out. You'll figure it out. Like, never in a million years would I have thought that I would be in consulting right now, right? Mm-hmm. But my 18 year old self was like, I need to know what I'm doing in like in 10 years, 15 years, 20 years, and it's gonna stay like this, and it's going to be da 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 da, like with like the 10 year plan and all that. Um, and you just gotta let go sometimes. Well, and and I think that at a young age, you know, even even when we're in high school, like when we're we're what freshmen and then sophomore, and they're like, okay, well. What do you want to be when you grow up? Are you, are you you getting the good grades so that you can, you know, start filling out college applications and we start so and, early. I know. And that's why yeah. so many students are like, "Oh my god. Oh my god. Yeah. I don't know." And how many people actually, you know, other than overachievers like you who get your, you know, PhD, <laughs> um, how many people go to college, get an education and then actually land in the field that they got the education in unless you are very intentional and get Mm -hmm. you know a lot of people end up just going for a general education because they're like I'm 18 years old I don't know what I want to be when I grow up and then they're and then they're you know 30 years old and they're like I don't know what I want to be when I grow up and then they're 35 and they're like I still don't know what I want to be when I grow up I love what I'm doing right now is this what I want to be when I grow up you know, I mean, yep. there is a lot of individuals. You don't have to know. You don't. Yeah. But, but hey, if if you can if you can enjoy life and enjoy your job and continue to go with the flow, great. If you mm-hmm. want to be extremely intentional and and follow a very specific path, that's also great. So to anybody mm-hmm. who's listening, you you don't have to choose immediately. You can be intentional about not choosing. You can be intentional about choosing. Um, Mm -hmm. There's multiple ways that you can. Hey, I I started going to school for accounting. Then I switched to Mm -hmm. computer programming. Then I switched to my bachelor's in, you know, in human resource management. So, yep. (laughs) It's all crapshoot. Like it, it, like really. And yeah, and I'm not in the field that I ever thought I was going to be in. And is it exactly what I studied for? No, but does it relate to a lot of the skills that I picked up along the way? A hundred percent. Yes. So, and this year, my goal, honestly, like now that I've like started a new career, my goal is to learn as much as I can in my new career path. And my second goals, cause I'm coming up on 30 in September and my goal is to learn how to ride a bike. That's my goal of the year. Cause I never learned. So that's my goal of the year. You've never learned to ride a bike? My parents never, I blame my parents. So we never learn. And that's what, that's what I'm going to do this year. That's my like big goal of the year. Well, learn how to ride a bike. Make sure that you take videos of your progress. It'll be on LinkedIn, you know, okay. All right. <laughs> with some inspirational wanna... quote or something. Right. Hey, you're never too old to learn something <laughs> never. new. Never, never, well, never. That's, that's awesome. Hey, I want to... I know how to ride a bike, but every time I get on it, I'm like, why am I doing this? <laughs> yeah, we're, I'm actually trying to learn this summer because we're going to the beach and all my, my kids, well, other than my youngest, but everyone else had to ride a bike and we're going to be like biking around. So I need to 
learn. So I told my husband, I said, I'll learn how to ride a bike. If you get me a pink bike with a basket. And he did. So now I have to learn how to ride. Oh, that's so cute. (laughs) So that's where I'm at. My daughter is now to an age where she, um, she is requested. She's only four and she's like, can I get a bike? Um, with training wheels and we're like seriously like you're ready for that already she, you know she's got the she's got the what is yeah it? the little the, the yeah big wheel or yeah yeah yeah, yeah like whatever big wheeler and she's she rides on around on a on a scooter thing majinger she's, I mean, she, yeah. she's got way too many toys like yeah i did not have like i have like two toys in my garage i had a a big wheel bike thing then i had a bike eventually i never i have she's like the motorized car she's got the scooter she's got the bike she's got like she's got like half section she's got almost like a a car space full of toys this it's ridiculous same with my kids they got all of them (laughs) like i would have i would have killed to have one of those little motorized cars where you sit down and you push the pedal and you drive around i mean she's only going like half a mile and like yeah and it has a remote so that if she like goes the wrong direction i can like she gets really mad when i stop driving my car that is cute though oh man and it's bright pink yeah oh yeah (laughs) funny yep okay well hey um shava this has been an amazing conversation oh i've enjoyed it you truly are an amazing human being, not only the professional side of, you know, the works that you're doing, but, you know, on, on the adopting children, having three children in one year, basically. It sounds unreal, but no, I appreciate your kindness and thank you so much for having me. Yeah, this has been awesome. If somebody wanted to reach out to continue a conversation with you, how would they go about doing that? Yeah. Hit me up on LinkedIn for sure. Um, I'm listed under Batsheva Guy or Batsheva with Sheva Guy PhD something. You'll find me. I'm on there. Um, you'll figure it out. So yeah, LinkedIn works. Excellent. Thank you so much. Awesome. Catch you later. Thanks so much. Thank you again for listening to Let's Talk HR. I appreciate your time and support. Without you, the audience, this would not be possible. So don't forget that if you enjoyed this episode, to follow us, like us, or share us. Have a wonderful day.